This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Be damned if the same politicians who refuse to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. Recording in progress. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's me, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin, via Zoom this time, because I'm fancy and I'm upstate. And it's time for She's a Woman. It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, She's a woman! And for the people who love them. Every week, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, are incredible listeners, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. So, Craitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Just another day in the, you know, this hellish city that we live in. Well, for me, you're not here, but no, I'm upstate, and it's like cool and sunny, and it's a perfect day to go swimming in a lake. And I imagine there, it's like a brick pizza oven. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if we've said this before, but New York in the summer, in the humidity, it's so smelly. Oh, yeah. Garbage. It's very smelly. It's hot garbage smell. All this you- like garbage that's on the street is just cooking in the heat and humidity. And it's just like walking around smelling un- unexplainable smells. And you were saying that even though we are not required to wear masks on the street right now if you're double vaxxed, like you kind of want to wear your mask because it smells so foul. I know. Sometimes I'll be wearing it out of habit or because I just came from my building, which still requires masks. And then I'll bring it down. I'm like, never mind. It's smelly. Let me put it back up because <laughs> I don't want to smell like all the garbage and sweat and sewage. It's a wild place. Anyway, I want to dive right into our serious groundbreaking interview because we do have one today. But first, I have a little treat for you, Crates. Okay, tell me. Every week, we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. (laughs) The idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times, slowly getting easier, but I would say still difficult. And this week, our news is all about the bees. (laughs) So, Caitlin... We always have this conversation about the age gap between us because I'm at an age where I remember when taking a road trip meant that your windshield and the grill of your car would be covered in dead insects because insects were so plentiful that you couldn't go anywhere without them getting stuck all over your car. And now... 
things are different. You're from a generation where you don't remember that in the same way because so many insect species are on the decline. And I actually read about this age gap in the times. They're like, some people remember that moment, some people don't. And that's because so many insect species are disappearing. You mean like covered? Yeah, just like you're in a horror movie. You know what I mean? Oh, no. I mean, I only experienced that with cicadas, but no other insects. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it used to be all different kinds of insects. So yeah. today you can take a road trip and leave your windshield clean. So yeah. recent studies have shown that not all insects are on the decline and that Europe is the hardest hit. But the fact remains that many insects, particularly our most essential helpers, are on the decline. And that, of course, includes bees, which are our pollinators, Caitlin. I know you're not a huge fan <laughs> of insects, but they're the, ones, they're the ones that help you get your favorite Brussels sprout snack, you know, because they pollinate and they help create they all of the vegetables. And yeah, all the, all the food that you enjoy, all your lovely vegetables wouldn't be possible if it weren't um, for, your, for bees. I'll have to I'll have to keep that in mind next time I'm like running for my life from one, you know. Right, exactly. Like thank you for the Brussels sprouts. Wait, no, let me check. Brussels sprouts pollination to make sure. Oh yeah. If you are the person that wants to ensure the survival of Brussels sprouts, you should know that they are pollinated by both honeybees and native bees. So yeah, they are definitely responsible. I had no idea. Yeah. So like there's almost no vegetables that we consume that are not in some part made possible by by bees. So yeah. So yeah, I guess we need them. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, our biggest helpers are bees. And that's why in a city in the UK, Leicester, I had to look it up and make sure that I was saying it the right way. Lester has decided to take some action when it comes to taking care of our essential bees, our essential six-legged workers. The city has a plan to replace their traditional bus stops with what they're calling living roof bus shelters, fondly nicknamed bee bus stops. Those bus stops will have green roofs that will be solar powered and topped with pollinator gardens, little gardens for the bees to enjoy, filled primarily with a mix of wildflowers and other plants to attract bees and pollinating insects and give them a little rest and a place to go on their way around town. Honestly, it's like a little public restroom for the bees and we know how essential those are in a city. <laughs> oh, it's so um, true. It's so true. I, they need to make stops for us, Caitlin, with our tiny bladders. <laughs> In addition to supporting the city's pollinator population, the new green roofs will also serve to absorb rainwater, help reduce the urban heat island effect, capture particles in the air, support local biodiversity, and promote sustainable transport in the city. So it's good news all around. And I think it's a wonderful story because it shows that there are so many creative ways to take little steps that positively affect the environment, no matter where you are. It's not limited to conserving wildlife and wild spaces. And there's so many benefits to taking each one of those steps. We can support our essential bee workers, cool cities, make our cities more beautiful and more. So I, I love the story. And I think Caitlin, it, it will comfort you. It'll give the bees something to bother that's not you, you know? It's true. I was thinking like at a bus stop, so are people still going to be waiting underneath? Oh my gosh, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> I wonder but if there's going to be like a maybe, lot more bee people encounters now. That, I don't know. Maybe they'll be busy with, like you said, maybe they'll be busy with their their flowers and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I feel like when you think of, if you ask someone the question, how do we save the bees? Like, I feel like a bus stop with bee habitat is not the first thing you would think of, but you're right. It just shows there are kind of unconventional ways that we can insert it into our daily lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And it doesn't have to be a massive solution. I know that in Chicago, some years ago, they started making green roofs that would help cool the city by having as many buildings as possible have like flowers and grass and parks on top of them because mm -hmm. a lot of the heat in the city is generated by 
buildings absorbing the sun and throwing all of that heat down into the city and storing that heat up in the city. And if you have green roofs, just a few green roofs can make a really big difference. And it can make a difference as far as cooling the city and keeping bees in the area and giving birds a place to land. So that can be done on a large scale. And I guess in Leicester, they're learning to do it on a small scale too. So maybe, maybe your city it, is next li- listener. Yeah. Maybe it'll uh, like slowly take over the world and pretty soon every bus stop will be filled with bees. No. It sounds kind of terrifying when <laughs> it I say it like that. It sounds kind of terrifying when you say it like that, but it's a good <laughs> it's true. thing. Because we'd be having so many more vegetables. Yes, we would be having so many more. <laughs> okay. okay all, all right. right. <laughs> anyway, so that's our good news for today. We hope that New York follows in the footsteps of Leicester and makes the city a little more green and beautiful. But now, having said that, everybody, it's time to take a little break for a commercial. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Okay, we're back. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews, Caitlin. You're screaming it. I can hear it in my ears. We love them so much. We really love them. Yeah. We get no we get no words of affirmation from the people in our lives. So we need them. Yeah. You guys. So please. (laughs) Send us some reviews. We noticed that a lot of people have been reviewing more lately, and we just want to tell you, keep doing it. Even if you've already reviewed before, just drop us a note either on the podcast app or in a DM from Instagram, because we're going to read some of our favorite reviews right here on the podcast at the very end of the show. So keep listening for that. And in the meantime, send in a little review. Oh my God, we have a new one this week. I can't wait to read it later. Ooh, I hope it's a good one. Is it a long one? <laughs> it's long, yeah. It's a good one. Wee! I, I love, <laughs> she loves long-winded praise, you know? <laughs> anyway, enough about that. It's time to go into our little interview today. And today we're going to be talking to Amanda Souter from Butch Wax Vintage. And she's someone that we both know from the Instagram because we both love a vintage look. But can you talk a little bit about why you invited her to join us on the podcast today? Yeah. Um, well, we've both followed her on Instagram for probably like a good three, four years now, I feel. Yeah. And I just think she has the most beautiful pieces. Mm. And I just think it's fascinating to me the sort of the the world of vintage selling, which has always existed. But now in this new age of Instagram and other reselling apps, I think it's just fascinating all the work that goes into it as far as like vintage resellers like go all over the world looking for cool gowns and and vintage pieces. And then they have to like set dress them and figure out what they're going to, I don't know. I just think it's fascinating. She made her own business basically from the ground up. And I'm really interested to hear more because she started on Etsy like so many people did, but then she found out that Instagram, once she put one of her beautiful vintage clothing items up on Instagram, it would be gone in seconds. Like she could post it and someone would buy it right away. And she ended up not even using the middleman of Etsy anymore. So I... I'm really interested to see how she started and how she built it up into her own booming business because it is yeah. that. And she, um, she's one of the most successful, I think, because I feel like there's a lot of Instagram vintage sellers, but she just, she has like over 100K followers. She is like a, a dedicated fan base that I feel like has their notifications on to like see what she's going to post next. It doesn't hurt that she can model 
all of these it's beautiful true. items because she's a gorgeous lady and she used to be a burlesque performer, Caitlin, another oh. burlesque performer in our fold. Yeah. And she has like that beautiful vintage figure that can yeah. really show off all the garments. So yeah. that doesn't hurt either. She's she's uh, she's everything in her business. She's her administrator. She's the model. She's the photographer. And we love a uh, one-woman business, don't we? We we love that. We love that. Even though we're a two-woman business. Yeah, but it's still, you know, small small business, small team. We love yeah, that. exactly. And both of us have half a brain, so... <laughs> <laughs> We laughed a little too hard at that. Yeah, you know, so real. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's not laugh at ourselves anymore. Let's welcome our wonderful guest. Everyone, I'm so excited to bring on Amanda Suter. Everybody, Amanda Suter owns her own vintage clothing business, which helps her share her personal passion for vintage clothing with the world and with her clients. It has always made her sad to hear people complain that vintage is too fancy or too costumey to be worn every day. For her, vintage clothes are very versatile. People can wear one piece or a whole ensemble, look fabulous, and most of all, ignore what other people think because that is her motto, ignore what other people think. For Amanda, vintage is about self-expression and timeless personal style. There's a piece of vintage clothing for everyone, and if you can envision it, most likely she will have it for you. So, Amanda, Amanda Suter, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us, where are you? How are you? What are you doing? What's going on? Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I am honored. When you reached out to me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fabulous. Um, so thank you again for having me. I am located um, actually in San Diego, California. My entire business is online. It's kind of revolved into this crazy social media business, actually, which is completely nuts. And I'll talk about that later on. But um, yeah, I'm I'm good. I am very good. Thank you. It, it occurred to me, we talked to a lot of our guests about what it was like to go through the pandemic. And oh I God. think that you you probably have an interesting perspective on it because as you mentioned, <laughs> your vintage business is all online. But I wonder if the pandemic brought any lessons to you about your business and, yes. and about life. It did. It definitely did. So with my business, I think what was one of the first things that made it so popular and take off on social media, primarily Instagram, is the fact that I was so personal and candid with my followers and my clients. Um, I've had my business now for 11 years. I think I went to Instagram in 2013. And so I shared a lot, you know, I people, it became a brand without me knowing it. You know, it wasn't just about the clothing. It was about like a lifestyle, a whole mentality, a confidence, all that. So, um, when the pandemic hit, obviously we, we all were stuck at home and, um, I don't know if you also experienced this in your industry at all, but, um, a lot of people were very disgruntled because people were out of work and, you know, just everybody was scared. We didn't know what was going on. So basically social media kind of certain aspects of it created this monster. And so I, my business is, you know, looked upon very highly. It's, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I'm a lot of people say like, I'm the example for vintage clothing on Instagram for what I do. And I've never meant for it to be like that. I guess it's just become like that. I had to really kind of step back from my business and remove myself. And I made it literally for a while, just all about the clothing. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, give my views or opinions on anything. I didn't show any, you know, personal photos or anything like that. I just completely wanted to strip it down and make it only about the clothes. You know, a lot of people noticed and they reached out and they were like, what's going on? And, you know, I was just like, yeah, things are really heavy in the world right now. Just, you know, kind of taking a step back when in reality, I was just trying to maintain my own mental health. 
And um, I actually, I was talking to celebrity clients of mine about this because they've gone through the same thing. Everybody was giving me the same advice. Just try to rise above it, continue what you do because that's what has made you successful. And, you know, it's really hard to ignore certain things, but that literally is all you can do. And this too will pass. Like if you are, you know, legit and, you know, my, my business has a really good reputation and it's because of how hard I have worked on it. You know, my business was my baby for 11 years. I worked, you know, basically 24 hours a day on it. You know, I just had to really take a step back. That's, I think that's such an important story to tell. First of all, it's a heartbreaking one because I know from having watched you over the years, Caitlin and I here on the podcast have followed you for years how important it is to you that this whole thing is run by you. You model the clothes that you sell and each one of those items I know comes with a story because you've chased those items all over the world. Yeah. And so I, I really think it's an important thing to bring up. Not that we have a solution here on this podcast, but when you are on social media to really remember how you're not just affecting some faceless person. When you say negative things, you are really touching someone's life and to be really mindful of how you treat people online because it may seem like a digital experience, but that's a real person that's put their passion, put their heart into what they're putting forward. So I, I thank you so much for sharing that. And I know exactly the feeling that you had. I think there was a negative moment where everyone was at home stewing over things and wanted to lash out. And yeah. I think we, we all of us felt that. So I'm hoping when we move forward, that's going to change a little bit. I think it already is. You know, I've I've definitely seen social media kind of turn around. So yeah, I'm I'm remaining positive and it did pass, you know, in the thick of it, I was like, oh my gosh, is this ever going to be over with? But it, you know, the the sun always comes out, I guess. <laughs> so Yeah. Caitlin, who is listening to this, she knows that we went through that moment too. We were like, oh my gosh, is this ever, is this tough time on social media ever going to end? Yep. And you find your way through. And I think the people that gave you advice to just hold, hang in there and hang mm -hmm. on to what you created, they gave you really great advice. Now, speaking of what you created, I'm thinking of you specifically during the pandemic. You had just moved into a beautiful house mm -hmm. that you completely made your own, a, a vintage house with its yeah. own flavor. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Did you, did you make your own world there to keep yourself sane? So yeah, the, our house in general, um, I'm incredibly proud of. Um, so I, you know, I came from a modest background. I'm an only child, but you know, both my parents worked. Um, I, you know, went paycheck to paycheck when I was younger, like a lot of people. And the thought of like buying a house to me was just a dream. Like I couldn't even fathom it. And the fact that I was able to, you know, buy on my own, this like gorgeous Victorian house uh, from selling vintage, just selling vintage clothing, you know, saving and restricting myself from certain things. I'm so proud of it. So yeah, when the pandemic hit, like, it's really nice to have kind of like a sanctuary to, you know, hang out in and protect yourself in and things like that. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was nice. Yeah. I, I love the fact that you bought it with the proceeds from your business, because I think a lot of young people grow up with the sense that, listen, if you want the things that you want in life that you have to take particular careers and that everything has to go else has to go by the wayside, but you found a way to make your passion into something that worked for you and allowed you to have the life you wanted. And did you imagine when you began that it would be like that? When I started my business, honestly, I had no idea it would become what it's become. I, you know, I, I was selling clothing from my closet to make space. And right. back then I was in my twenties, I was in bands, I was 
just concerned, you know, with going out partying. I didn't know it was going to take off, but I truly like found my passion, you know, and I guess when that happens, you just put everything into it and it doesn't seem like working because, you know, you love it so much. So that's, that's the only way you can, I guess, get like that if you're really, really passionate. But I have to also say manifest manifestation is real. Like I fully believe that if you want something and you want it bad enough, like keep thinking about it, keep working really hard and you probably are going to get it. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I feel like that is the path that I took where I dreamed of a life in drag and I dreamed of being a performer and I just Mm -hmm. kept that at the front of my mind and I wouldn't let anything get in the way. So I think, yeah, yeah, if you, we manifest things all the time and there's a thousand obstacles in the way on the way, but keep that dream ahead of you. And that's your little carrot pulling you forward as you go. Definitely dangling in front of your face that you're running to catch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I want to dive in a little bit to your story before you had all of this and before you had achieved so much in your dream. One of my favorite things about this podcast is hearing the stories of incredible women from the very beginning. So I want to know what you were like growing up because I understand you started shopping at thrift stores when you were like only 13. Yes. So, uh, gosh, starting all the way from being a child. So, um, I always had this sense of like my own individual style. My parents would tell you, I, I always like beat to my own drum. As I said, I'm an only child and my parents pretty much never told me what to wear or how to look. And I thank them so much for that because my parents compared to me are fairly conservative. And some of the things that I put on in high school, even I today would be like, oh my God, like what the heck? So I I was, you know, I was a shy child. I did art. That's how I got attention in all of my like elementary classes is I just drew all the time any, you know, on anything. And I was known as Amanda, the artist, but I was pretty much kind of a loner and uh, middle school, same way. Middle school was horrible. I was a tomboy. I turned into a total tomboy in middle school. So like you see me now and I'm wearing these dresses and I have my hair and my makeup back then I could care less about that. (laughs) But that also is when I started shopping at thrift stores. There was one in particular that I always will treasure It was called American Thrift. It was by my Nana's house. And it was truly a treasure trove of vintage. Um, It was dirty inside. It was packed. But you could find the most amazing pieces from the 40s and 50s. I remember finding like old Fredericks of Hollywood dresses and capri pants from the 50s in there. I mean, you just don't see that stuff. So back then, I mean, that was early 90s, maybe, yeah, early 90s. Um, So that is probably what truly sparked my interest in vintage clothing, as well as my Nana. Um, She was really flamboyant, especially in the 1950s. She would tell me stories of things that she wore, um, show me pictures, I used to get into her like vintage nightgown stash when I was a little girl and put them on and I would get into her makeup. She had this amazing shade of metallic silver eyeshadow. I'll never forget it. And I love that. And it was old. She like kept it in her medicine cabinet. It was old, but I thought it was so cool looking. So I guess those are what really started, like kind of lit the fire And after high school, my first job ever was in a vintage store here in San Diego called Shake Rag. Shake Rag, yeah. Shake Rag, yes. It was underground. And that was such a cool store. I worked there. And then after that, I started working in makeup artistry. And I did that for numerous years. Worked for Dior, Nars, Guerlain. And then... I, oh, okay. I was working for Saks Fifth Avenue and Saks Fifth Avenue closed. So I was like, oh, 
hmm, what am I going to do now? Maybe try something different. I didn't want, I didn't want to work at the mall anymore. You know, I just, I did not want to work at the mall. I was tired of working, you know, in that environment. So one of my girlfriends was leaving her position at a salon in my neighborhood. I live in Hillcrest, the gay neighborhood in San Diego. I've lived here since I was 17. And so I took over her position as receptionist at this beautiful salon. I was horrible at it. I will totally admit I was horrible. And back then I had this like bright, like crayon red hair. It was, you know, really big, kind of like Elvira style. Yeah, I've seen pictures. (laughs) Yes, I was just, I was horrible at that job. I got fired and I had never been fired before. I was devastated um, because I was raised you know, by my parents to like work really hard and, you know, really put yourself into your work. So when somebody was firing me, I felt like a total failure. And looking back on that, that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. After that, I, um, through a chain of events, I got word that this really beautiful, like high-end vintage boutique also in my neighborhood was looking for an employee. And I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. You know, I love vintage. I was never able to shop there because I couldn't afford anything. But I, it was always, you know, like the mecca of vintage clothing in San Diego. It was a store called Wear It Again Sam. So I started working there. And I ended up working there for seven years until the owner um, decided to completely close the store because I was doing all of her online as well. And the yeah. online took off so much that she felt she didn't need the storefront anymore. She just wanted oh to do goodness. On- yes. <laughs> so I was her, I was, there's her the blueprint. Mm-hmm. I was her employee in the store. She insisted that I be her model for all the online stuff. And I listed things online. So I learned everything to do. So when she closed the store, I was her only employee. I was working from home, working for her. And she was nice enough to let me start my own Etsy page, just selling stuff from my closet to make room. Long story short, it completely took off, like completely. And I told her, I said, you know, I, this is so hard for me to tell you, but I don't really have time, you know, to work for you anymore. I really hope you understand. It was hard for me to do that because, you know, she had given me so many great opportunities and, you know, the entire internet knew my face because uh, from, you know, I mean, her store had a great reputation all over the world. So a lot of people were seeing it. And when I started listing my own stuff, I was using myself as a model as well, because I knew that people would recognize me and that's how it took off. And that's, that, that's the beginning of it. Wow. Wait. So what was the next step for her? Did she find another Amanda to fill those shoes or? She, you know, that she found, um, like an employee to list stuff for her. Nobody else modeled for her. Um, she would just shoot stuff on a dress for him, but yeah, she, she would find, you know, I think she went through two other, um, employees. I wanted to ask about this real quick. You said in high school, the other kids thought that your fifties pencil skirts were grandma clothes. And I, Oh yeah. I want to know what was it like to stand out from other people because of the way that you dressed? You know what? Um, it never really phased me. Like I said, some of the stuff I would wear was pretty shocking. So I would go from like a fifties pencil skirt to like, I also really loved, you know, like punk rock in high school. So I would wear like a really short mini skirt with like ripped up fishnets and like high heels, just like really crazy stuff for like a 15 year old to put on, to go to school. And I just, you know, I never, I have this great ability and my friends tell me this of looking a certain way and everybody can be looking at me and I will be completely oblivious. I think I just have learned to block it out or just simply not care. You know, like I want to look how I want to look. It's making me happy. So, you know, just let me be this way. So I think that that's how it was kind of in high school, but yeah, back in high school, me and my best friend, her mom was a hairdresser and she taught us how to backcomb our hair. (laughs) Uh huh. 
<laughs> so we we probably looked like extras out of like John Waters movies. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um it was cool. I mean, it's funny to look back on those pictures, but yeah, we definitely had our own style. And yeah, we got called, you know, oh, you're wearing grandma clothes. Like, why are you wearing stuff like that? You know, whatever. It's fine. I remember my sister when she was in junior high and high school, she would go to school in costume. You know, she would go to school dressed as the ocean, for example. And oh my gosh. Like a white gown with jellyfish put on it in specific places and like with those little pack <laughs> holders that you do. So she was like a polluted ocean. And that's amazing. It was always a different theme. And I remember my parents were like, oh my God, do you want people to look at you? And she was like, no, this is what I want to wear. Yeah. I think that it was like this, this moment, I think at that age, especially where you begin to learn to express yourself for mm-hmm. who you are. And I think that that's it. People need to realize that that's a moment of expression that's for you and not necessarily uh, for other people, you know? Exactly. And the parents that let their kids do it, I think that's honestly the best thing you can do because if you question it, if you tell them not to, they're just going to do it even more, you know, for oh, the most absolutely. part. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> just act unfazed by it and they should be fine. I think they should be fine. <laughs> All right, Amanda, we're going to take a little break okay. and then we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Now, Amanda, you mentioned you were a makeup artist. I think I read you were in bands. You liked to party. You did burlesque for 10 years. Can you talk about yes. doing burlesque? Of course I can. So, uh, gosh, I had never thought of doing burlesque um, until one night I was out at a dive bar here in San Diego that was super popular with like young hipster kids for karaoke. And this girl that I had never seen before at the end of the night came up to me and, you know, she had this really cool kind of 1920s style going on. And she's, and I, you know, I love to sing karaoke. That's like a guilty pleasure of mine. So of course I put on a show with that. And, you know, she was telling me like, she really liked, you know, how I perform. And she told me that she had a burlesque troupe, a vintage style burlesque troupe. And back then that was, gosh, can't remember the year I was, I was probably 22 at the time. 21 or 22, but there was only one other burlesque troupe in San Diego that I had ever heard of and they weren't even performing anymore. So I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And of course, you know, I, from a, you know, tween age, I was obsessed with Betty page. So I was like, Ooh, this is cool. Like, I think I could do this, you know, vintage lingerie. Okay. So I gave it a try and I, I joined her troupe. And I remember the first show I ever performed at, I danced to a song called teach me tiger (laughs) (laughs) and people were throwing money at me. (laughs) I was like, is this normal? Like, is this like (laughs) a, a strip club thing? But it wasn't, but it was, you know, from then on, I just loved it. It was performing, you know, and it was kitschy. And when I started making my own costumes, that's when I, you know, got really into it. So I performed in that troupe and then that troupe dismantled after a few years and I ended up starting my own troupe. And when I had mine, I really wanted to bring back that whole sideshow aspect as well. So besides the girls that would just dance, we also had a professional sword swallower slash body contortionist. He would do the craziest stuff like, you know, swallow needles, pull them out of his stomach, just the weirdest stuff. And people loved it. We had a fire eater that was a girl. We had a snake charmer that was a girl. So it was a whole kind of like sideshow experience as well. And back then we opened up for bands. It was really popular, you know, to have like a, a burlesque troupe opening for, you know, like a, a traveling band in a venue. So yeah, I, I ended up doing that for 10 years. And then I just one day was like, you know, other, I was working on my business a lot and creating the costumes for me really became 
like very intense. I would become obsessed with it. I would work for hours on them and it just stopped being fun. So I, I decided, you know, like I had my fun with this. I'm just going to kind of retire. I love this because it tells the story of someone who has multiple passions and interests and manages to find a place for them at the right time, you know? And I think we have this idea, especially we feed young people this idea that if you want to be successful, you have to focus on one thing. And I think it's beautiful to know that you can, you can explore everything in its own time in your life. You know what? I think the, the greatest thing that somebody can possess is creativity and imagination. I think if you have both of those things, you'll never be bored. And I don't think you'll ever be, you know, struggling. So I just, I blame it on that, you know, just always having all these different passions, And, you know, if I decide one day not to do clothing anymore, it'll be something else. Can you talk about the name Butchwax, Butchwax Vintage and where it comes from? Because I I think this is very, uh, very interesting. uh... Yes. So, um, okay, I had a boyfriend at the time um, years ago that back in the day, he had a band called Butchwax Duo. And I just, I liked how that sounded. I was like, this is so like weird and quirky. What is it? Butchwax actually is a a hair pomade for men from the 1950s. It was like, you know, men would get like flat tops and put butchwax in it to hold them up. So when when I started my business, I looked like over the top, cartoony feminine, like, you know, my huge red hair. Um, so I, I just, I simply thought, you know, that's a great contrast, the word butch with how I look. And it's something that people will remember. And it was simply that I didn't think much about it. I really didn't at all. And I couldn't looking back, I couldn't think of a more perfect name. It's no. just, it's turned into its own thing. You know, it's, it's just really stuck. So I wanted to, if you could tell our young listeners, one of the biggest lessons that you learned from starting your own business that you wish you had known from the very beginning, I know you had a mentor in a way, but what are some things that you, that you wish you knew from the very beginning? So I think the people ask me, you know, about starting a business a lot and they ask for advice. And I say the biggest advice I can give anybody is keeping your head down staying in your own lane and focusing on you. Don't look around at what else is going on because it is only going to hold you back. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Have faith in your process and how you do it and your skill and really make your whatever you're doing unique to you and you'll be successful. The minute you start focusing on other people or drama and people want you to focus on that stuff, especially in today's world, you're just going to be held behind. So just focus on you, keep your head down and do you. That is my biggest word of advice. Oh, and, and, and I always tell people be kind, like be kind and respectful. What you put out, you will get back. So like, just be classy, kind and respectful don't treat anybody like you are better than them because you're not. And, you know, always remember where you came from. I will second that because we used to live on a fairly large planet, but it is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I have found when I have slipped up and been rude because that was what happened that day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. I will never see that person again. <laughs> It comes back. Oh yeah. And you oh, can yeah. always you can always mend bridges and everything like that. But why not spare yourself the, the grief. effort? And yeah. just every time that you have an opportunity to treat someone around you, especially the people that you work with, even if you mm-hmm. think you're only gonna work with them one time with graciousness and and respect. It's just it is that is such a true thing. And as far as not looking at what other people are doing, I'm so glad you said that today because I think when 
the world is opening up, there's going to be a huge temptation for everyone to say, well, to see like, oh, well, who's recovering fastest? Who's doing better? I'm like, am I getting in the swing of things as fast as other people are? And it is just not going to help you. Exactly. You know, it's interesting you say that as the world is opening back up. I don't know if you saw, I am like over six months pregnant. So it's very, very weird to be this person before the pandemic that was used to going out, you know, uh, doing what I want. And then everybody rushing to go out, go partying. And now I'm pregnant. You have your own story. Well, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations on being pregnant and starting a new chapter. And for everybody that wants to visit Butch Wax Vintage on Instagram, where it lives its best life. Or my website. Or, or the website. We're going to share the website and the Instagram handle on our She's a Woman podcast Instagram so that another wave of dedicated fans can join the Butch Wax Vintage world. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, Caitlin, okay. that was our interview for today. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? I just love hearing um, sort of how these vintagey things have been in her life from a young child and kind of how it was all these different stepping stones that led her to having her own business, selling vintage clothing. I didn't know the story about her, essentially her mentor, who sort of, I mean, in one way, she gave her the platform to do it by providing her all these clothes and the store to run. But also yeah. she mentored her, her mentor. She was like, here, we can put this. Uh, We're in the 21st online. century. Let's do the yeah. internet, you know? Yeah. yeah. It, I think we- it's crazy that they got to close the store entirely based on the fact that they could do everything on online sales. And then I liked how she also talked about um, how, how even though online and running a business online can be amazing. It's still sometimes you need to step away, as oh, we know very absolutely. well. Absolutely. It's nothing more fun than being responsible for yourself. And there's nothing more scary than being responsible for yourself because your face is out there and yeah. everything depends on you. And so when things get to being scary, you I feel just like you could know definitely do. relate to that. Oh, absolutely. 2020 was that? I, I feel storm. like, uh, yeah, I feel like um, interestingly hearing her talk about some of her experiences as an online vintage seller and your experiences as a drag queen weirdly go together. Because I'm what? A vintage queen, Caitlin. (laughs) 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 And Lord knows you and I like to go to a vintage store if it's the last thing that we do. Oh, we love it. I like Google it as soon as we land in the city. (laughs) Yes. I'm like coffee shop, vintage store. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Anyway, wonderful interview. I can't wait to go shopping on Butchwax Vintage again. But I want to say this again as well. If you liked your time with us today and with Amanda Suter, make sure to subscribe to this podcast, rate it, and review it. We love reviews, as we said at the beginning of the podcast. In fact, we love them so much. We're going to read one of our favorite reviews right here, right now. And so, Caitlin, I want to know, what is our favorite review of the week? Okay, this one, it says, a super fan thinks it's super. Five stars. Ms. Cracker was the first drag queen I ever saw live. I had never watched Drag Race before, and my friend took me to Hardware Bar to see Ms. Cracker and Monet Exchange. And I have never laughed harder in my entire life. Yes. I was immediately obsessed with the world of drag. And who happened to be on the first season I ever watched live, but Ms. Cracker and Monet. I thoroughly enjoy this podcast and find the listen to be so thoughtful, relaxing, and uplifting. Each week, we are introduced to a brand new topic of discussion in the same way that I was brought to my first ever drag show. Not knowing what I was getting myself into, but after an hour, I find myself fully intrigued. Thank you for your art, compassion, and honesty. From Kevin John. Oh my gosh, that makes me That's so happy. That's a nice happy. one, right? Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I know I say this every week, but I'm not afraid to repeat myself. And honestly, I feel the same way. Like every time we go 
into a topic that I know nothing about. I come out the other side an hour later feeling like I've learned so, so much. So I know I do. I do. I truly, I feel like I learned so much and then I feel like I can like pass that knowledge onto other people now. Like, I feel like I really took something away from it. And when people are like, oh, I haven't heard your podcast yet. I'm like, you're in for a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) Because we have guests that are come from so many different walks of life and go through all across the board, you know? Oh, yeah. The distance between our Butchwax vintage Amanda Suter and our NASCAR driver and our war photographer and our, you know, there's, there's a lot there. So if you love the podcast, Tell your friends to listen to it too. And if you have ideas for iconic, incredible ladies that should join us, DM us too, because we're always yeah. looking for the next inspiration. Yes, please. We're always uh, looking for different guests. And sometimes we find inspiration in the most random places, you know. But Caitlin. Is it time for your favorite part? Yes, it is. Caitlin, <laughs> it's time for my favorite part of the show. It's time for the credits. And I feel Wait. sad now because we're apart and I this is my only way to talk to you, you know? I know. Well, I know you'll be texting me any like as soon as this ends about something. You'll be like, yep, yep, here's a picture of a house. Enough about that. This <laughs> podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham, and then I did it. The cast includes me and also Cradalina. And it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71, who is eagerly waiting for us to edit this episode right now. So thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look into the mirror and say, she's a woman. She's a woman. Oh, that was a nice, you know, we, you joined me in the middle of the doubt. I did, even, even though it's hard over Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's harder over Zoom. Oh, uh, so anyway, true. just say she's a woman and I'll be with you. That's the point. And Caitlin, <laughs> did you go to the gym today? I did. Yes, I did. You're amazing. I read 50 yeah. pages of my book today. Wow. Look at you go. I'm a scholar. <laughs>